Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, what a great opportunity for us to be together, to share with one another, to encourage, uh, just to be called the body of believers of Christ. I was, um, I think Billy's left already. I was talking to Billy this morning before our first service, and he was telling me about what a struggle this week particularly had been for him and, and how it had challenged him uh, in his relationship with the Lord. And he said, I came out of it feeling just a renewed sense that, that I am a child of God and he is watching over everything that I do. And Sheree and her team this morning uh, singing that we are no longer slaves, slaves to sin, of course, uh, but we are children of God. You know, we, we are his people. And this morning we're looking at uh, the next in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Children of God, right? I find this Beatitude to be very intriguing, mostly because it challenges us in a uniquely different way uh, than the earlier Beatitudes do. The previous Beatitudes really speak to us about our own personal spiritual condition. What's our life like? What's our faith like? Um, And this one reflects more on our outward experience and the impact that all of that spiritual growth has on our lives. Uh, Somebody came up to me after our service this morning and said, you know, I was reminded that that, um, we were taught last fall in, in a Sunday school class that the Beatitudes apply to all of us or all of the Beatitudes apply to each of us. Right? It's not like pick one here, pick another one there. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of those ones who mourns, or I'm going to be one of those ones who you know, is, is filled with the Spirit or whatever it is. No, no. These, are, these speak to all of us, and they speak to about what our lives should look like. But this one this morning speaks to how that reflects out and how that enables us to talk to people. What I'm saying about the concept um, of being a peacemaker is that it identifies how our faith itself, in the face of everyday life and conflicts and and disagreements, um, challenges how we live. And this thing about peacekeeping is very much a part of that. I want to read to you uh, the Beatitudes again this morning, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bible with you, and we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Following that, we'll pray, and then we'll get into this. So when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God or children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, 
they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you are our guide and our teacher, and that this morning you will guide us and teach us about these things that come from this thought about being peacemakers. Father, just um, I ask that you would just take the words that I have prepared and that you have given to me, and I ask that you would use them to teach us in, in ways that will impact us about what our life is like and how it reflects outward. And so just uh, take this time and use it for your honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to look at the bigger picture of what it means to be a peacemaker by way of introducing the discussion about what it looks like to be a peacemaker. The idea of being a peacemaker is found throughout Scripture with a number of different uses, but the primary usage is often reflecting the concept of the working to end strife, however we choose to that, define that term. Typically, we would understand it in the classical sense of cessation of war. We see this uh, in the usual way. So when you think about cessation of war, you think about a couple of things that might happen. One country overpowers another country, and that brings war to an end. Sometimes there's political intervention that brings war to an end. Uh, sometimes there are peace accords that are written. In the Old Testament, it often happened when a king would give his daughter to a prince from another country, uh, and that was part of their peace accord. And I was saying this morning earlier, I'm not sure if my daughter would have liked that. No, no, she's going, no, 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 don't do that to me. Um, and yet, you know what, that still happens today. We don't see it because we don't live in those kinds of worlds but it still happens today. Um, but in the normal way, we, we tend to think about cessation of war as um, coming to reflect this idea that there is a national political uh, issue that has now come to rest. However, if we understand war or conflict as any event that pits one person or group against another, it now reflects more of a New Testament understanding and prevent, uh, presents an, a very valuable depiction of what should not be happening in the church. And when we think about it that way, then the def definition of cessation of war continues to have merit. But its meaning goes far deeper than that. In the two New Testament, peace most often refers to the inner tranquility and poise of a Christian in relationship to God. The peace that Jesus spoke of throughout his time on the earth uh, was a combination of hope, trust, and quiet in mind and soul brought about by reconciliation with God. To the Philippians, Paul would write of that peace, that being the peace that passes all understanding in the midst of the struggles and trials of everyday life. The Hebrew and New Testament understanding of shalom or peace implies a holistic sense of well-being, and that holistic sense includes interpersonal relationships, relationships between nations, and our relationship with God. It is a peace that is based on a restoration of harmony with God, resulting in complete confidence in God. It's here that we find our spiritual maturity, as defined by the previous Beatitudes, um, begins to influence the practical aspect of what our life looks like about how we treat people, about how we treat our loved ones, 
about what happens at work, about what happens on the street every day as you go about your business. And so in order to grasp this concept of peacemaker, I want to consider the question of where does it originate? How does it apply to us? And what are the outcomes for us? And with that in mind, we're going to look at the plan of peacemaking, the purpose of peacemaking, and the product of peacemaking. The plan of peacemaking is an interesting thought. And when you think through the whole concept of where it comes from, you know that it comes out of Scripture. But as we go through life, and as we talk to people about faith, you know, we, we land up talking about the fact that God loves us, right? You know, we tell people, God is a God of love. And God is a God of peace. He's looking for peace. But you know, I think one of the struggles for so many people is that when they think about these topics, they go, but that's not what I see. Like, how do you explain that if God is a God of love, all these terrible things are going on? How could he allow evil to exist? If he loves us, how could he allow a drunk driver to take the life of a totally innocent victim? If he loves us, how could he allow my daughter to be sexually abused by someone who is selfish, vicious, and mean? If he loves us, how could he allow suffering to continue? That was probably one of the greatest questions I got asked while working in the hospice. And it was, you know, if God is such a God of love, why is my mother lying in that bed suffering the way she is, or my brother, or my sister, or my father? Why wouldn't he just take them and take them out of their suffering? How could he allow my spouse to die of cancer or some other illness at such a young age? Why, why, why? And if he's a God of peace, why does he allow so much of the violence that we read about in Scripture? Why does he seem to encourage that violence? Why is it that he tells his chosen people, go in and defeat, but don't just defeat, totally destroy, totally wipe out? How does a God of peace equate to that? If he is a God of peace, why do we have situations like this one that took place this week in Kitchener, I think it was, where a car was blown up by an IED? This is our country now that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what's happening in Afghanistan or in some of these other countries. Our country. If God is a God of peace, why does he allow so much violence that is attendant to these, these um, uh, protests that are taking place all around North America for various reasons? How does that equate to a God of peace? There are deep and endless theological discussions that revolve around these issues. And the answer that is at the root of these discussions, an answer which we struggle with, reflects on the character of God himself. I don't have time to go through all that this morning. I wish I did. I could spend three hours talking about this very topic. Uh, we can't do that, obviously. But let me, let me at least begin that discussion by saying that all of this evil and violence was never God's intent. Do we know that? Do you believe that this morning? This was not God's intent. Matter of fact, when you look into chapter 2, 
of the book of Genesis, what do we read about? We read about Adam and Eve. They live in this place that's perfect and sinless. They live in this place where they have a relationship with God. They talk to Him daily. It's a great place. It's perfect. It's everything that we hope that one day we will have when we see God face to face. What a terrific place that was. It was a place where the peace that reflects, that, that we want, reflects the most intimate, caring, loving relationship that we will ever understand. But listen, in that place, that very same place, was also the opportunity for choice and temptation. In succumbing to temptation, Adam and Eve lost what they had been blessed with, and the world was changed forever. The result, of course, was that sin entered the world, and man, now covered with sin, became a creature of self-centeredness, egotistical, rebellious, and corrupted humanity. Further, he became a creature who could not accept responsibility for the things that he did. Look around. Has it changed much? Has it changed much? This was and still is a problem that needed resolution. Well, God had a plan. Isn't that great? God's got a plan. You believe that? Sorry? Thank you. <laughs> Into the mess, God purposed to provide a means by which man could once again be reconciled with the Creator and to which he could have restored relationship with the Creator. The initial plan is what we have now come to call the Old Testament sacrificial system. Within that system, the nation of Israel received the Ten Commandments, and they were given a book that we call the book of Leviticus. You want to know what the sacrificial system is about? Go read it. But be prepared. Give yourself time. It's a long read. And it can be confusing at times, I might add. But as we go back to the Old Testament, what we see is that these people, these chosen people who are God's people, had upon them rebellion. It was on them. Yes, they had leaders who could call them back to God, but the sin was strong. The temptation was great, and they were weak, as we all are. In the end, the plan could not overcome the stubborn rebellion of the people and secure their salvation. But take heart, there was a new plan. Simply put, the cross. A plan that came through great personal cost and ultimate sacrifice. A plan to restore relationships with this rebellious people. That plan, of course, was to give his son to be the sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin. Okay, that's a really quick history lesson here, okay? But here's my question. Well, let me start with this. I've heard a lot of people who have said, I would give anything, dot, dot, dot. You ever said that? Anybody have the courage to say yes? Yeah. I ask you another question. Would you? Easy to say, hard to do, right? Why did God do it? The short answer is that he wanted to restore peace between himself and man. 
The sacrifice that he made provides the greatest example of what it means to be a peacemaker. The New Testament is full of references that speak to the truth that God is a God of peace. If you want those references, I have them written. I'm not going to give them to you because it will take too long. There are any number of related topics that speak to peace that reflects God's desire for his people. He wants us to be people of peace. We read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that peace is among the fruits of the Spirit. And the New Testament expects, expects peace to be the normal state of affairs between believers and between believers in God. And this is all part of the essential aspect of having unity in the church. Now listen, for all I've said, I've only really just scratched the surface of what we find when we read in, in the Old Testament and New Testament about God wanting peace and about how, how God is a peacemaker. We sometimes don't understand it in the way that it's given to us. But the fact of the matter is, the greatest thing that we see that proves that God is a, is a peacemaker is the giving of His Son so that our penalty could be paid. That's the plan. That's the plan. So this sets the stage for us. As we recognize that God has truly shown us what it means to be a peacemaker, we turn our attention to understanding our part in the process, which is the purpose of peacemaking. Do we have a purpose in it? What is a peacemaker? What is their purpose? And what do they do? Well, listen, the simplest answer is to define it by saying that a peacemaker is someone who fixes problems. They are ones who see that something that they perceive is wrong. They want to do something about it. They want to fix it. But I want to go on to say that the biblical definition would go further to include the fact that that fixing includes and is all about resolution, reconciliation, and peace. Peace is at the heart of it. Now, not all peacemaking is about conflict resolution. Conflict resolution is not simple or easy, and I believe some people are better equipped emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually to deal with conflict resolution. But having said that, I also believe that Jesus would have us understand through this beatitude that each of us are called to the task of peacemaking. This kind of work involves correcting misunderstandings and differences of opinion, helping fellow believers work through struggles and trials, helping people with their conflicts when both sides think they're right. And this is part of what Paul was speaking about when he chastised the Corinthians. He was, you know, just as we are expected to be peacemakers, he expected that there would be peacemakers in the church in Corinth. And he said that to them, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? How can that be? How can that be? The expectation was that there should be peacemakers in their midst who could deal with these problems. Peacemaking, however, is a two-way street. I suggest that even as each of us has the responsibility to be a peacemaker, we also, listen, this is the one we don't like to hear, okay? We also have the responsibility to be open to the possibility that we might be wrong. 
Is that, could you be wrong? No, somebody said no. Any, any, any takers on that one? Could you be wrong? Yeah, a couple of you, thank you. Um, but it goes further than that, okay? Understand that we might be wrong and then learn to humbly receive correction when the evidence indicates our error and our stubborn resistance to what has been shown a better way. This is a huge part of peacemaking. It's not all on the person who's trying to make it happen. It's on us as receivers to be humble enough to say, yes, I was wrong. Oh, my wife loves it when I tell her I'm wrong. She, she told me a long time ago, she, she loves a man who can admit that he's wrong, so I'm wrong a lot. And I tell her that a lot. It's also necessary to comment on what peacemaking is not. It is not about hard confrontational criticism where feelings are not considered and people are left hurting and feeling condemned. Such action is not peacemaking. It's counterproductive and it's divisive. This ought not to be happening, especially in the church. The term peacemaking, it's an action word. And let me go back and make another comment. Just as that, that idea that we are not to, to be confrontational in a hurtful way. The other side of that is that peacemaking is not avoidance, turning a blind eye, sticking our head in the sand, hoping that the problem will blow over. That's not peacemaking. Listen, I tell you, a tornado will blow over, but look at the destruction that it leaves in its wake. Destruction comes when problems are not dealt with. Peacemaking is a requirement and a work in the church. The, the term peacemaking is an action word and requires us to do something. Okay? What does it look like? I believe there's three kinds of peacemakers, though the first one is not really peacemaking at all. Okay? The first one is the challenger. If you see the challenger at work, it would, be usually, it would usually be one who leaves all kinds of destruction in their path. Just follow them and see what happens in their life. People who are challengers are usually very critical and not concerned with trying to find solutions or peace, but about having their say and telling others how wrong they are. That's not peacemaking. But some people think it is. That, that is not what Scripture tells us peacemaking is. The second one is the challenger. You know, I, I like this one. I, I'm sorry, not the, the encourager. Thank you. I saw a head go hot. Um, these people are the ones who are usually gentle in spirit and are good listeners. My wife used the phrase, the, the phrase to me uh, the other day. I was talking with her about it. She said, yeah, they're sounding boards. And that's very right. They're the people who come to you and have coffee with you. And they listen to you. And they hear your hurt. And they hear your pain. And they hear the struggles in your life. And they listen to all that you have to say. And then they quietly, you know, try to help you see a more biblical way of looking at your problem. And help you to see that, that maybe you're seeing it wrong. Or you're not seeing it wrong. And what's happening in your life is tragic. They are the ones 
who rejoice with the joyful. Mourn with the, those who mourn. Pray with the downcast and with the one who has a breaking heart. This is the work that most of us are called to do. Okay? This, is, this, isn't, this isn't hard work. This isn't something that we're not equipped to do. We are. We are. All of the Beatitudes set us up for this. Okay? That we should be about the work of peacemaking because we do mourn. We all mourn. We all struggle with issues in our lives. We all have these times when we just wish somebody would come and hold our hand or give us a hug or tell us it's going to be okay. There's a song by uh, a group called Mercy Me called Even If. And the, start, the, the, the song starts about the fact that sometimes there's good times and sometimes there isn't. And, and he is a performer, night after night is on the stage telling them that things are going to be all right. But that day he couldn't because things weren't all right in his life. But he rises up and he says, it's okay. I still put my trust in God, even when everything else fails around me. God is my hope and my strength, and he is the one who will carry me through. You see, the goal of the encourager, in fact, the goal of peacemakers, is peace. The third is the arbitrator or the reconciler. These people have a special kind of work, not a work that I choose to do, not a, church, a work that I like to do, a work that I have been called to do from time to time. Uh, if you want to do it, anybody wants to do that, I'm sure just let the church know. Uh, they'll be all over that. They, they will have a purpose for you. But listen, there is nothing fun about this kind of peacekeeping because it is the work of holding others accountable for their failures and sins that do not seem to be resolving. And it is also the work of confronting people whose actions are causing division in the church. This is not easy work. I'm not sure you really want to do it unless God puts it, has put it on your heart. These are the ones who are called to find resolutions between contending parties. Their function is to problem solve and to find peaceable resolutions. They will be quiet, calm, and measured in their responses, looking to help these people who are in division to find a middle ground. And in some cases, and here's the hard part, okay? In some cases, they will have to make very difficult decisions that are in the best interest of the church that doesn't feel that way to the people that are having to hear those decisions. This kind of peacemaking is hard work. Not only are they able to wade through the arguments that people bring, but they do so in a loving, caring way, but without compromising the scriptural teaching of justice, responsibility, and accountability. Listen, this, is, this, this whole thing that we're talking about touches every one of us. We are all accountable. We are all responsible. We are all part of this journey. We are called to be peacemakers at some level. We are called to be concerned with caring for one another. Romans 12:8 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Look at it. It's not about, well, 
if, if, if you are nice to me, then I'll be at peace with you, Shauna. If you're not, well, too bad for you. No, no, this is about if it depends on me, I'm going to be at peace with Shauna. And I'm going to go to her and say, you know what, did I do something that upset you? If I did, I'm really sorry. Right? This is about us. It's not about everybody else. It's not everybody else's responsibility that I feel bad. It's not everybody else's responsibility that I have things that I need to be held accountable for. It's me. And so as far as it depends on me, I need to live at peace with everyone. Romans 14, 19 and Hebrews 12, 14 offer this challenge. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual understanding or mutual building up of other people and the body. Every effort. That tells me it's work. That tells me we have things to do. That tells me we can't just turn the blind eye, blind eye and hope that it will blow over. It won't. We have work to do. And there are multiple passages that tell us God has called us to live at peace. God has called us to live at peace. It might as well say he's commanding you to live at peace. For that, in fact, is what his calling is. The purpose of peacemaking is all about reconciliation. Me with God, me with other people, other people with God, and other people with each other. Now, some of you are going to undoubtedly be looking at the clock and going, well, he's still got a point and a conclusion to go, and it's about time he stops. Let me tell you that the next part will be short, okay? The product of peacekeeping. The product is that those who are peacemakers will be called children of God, okay? We've heard about this term already today. But note it does not say that you will become children of God. It says you will be called children of God. You are not a child of God because you're a peacekeeper. You are a peacekeeper because you are a child of God. And you will be called a child of God in recognition of the fact that you are busy endeavoring to bring reconciliation and restoration into broken lives and broken relationships and helping people back to that place of peace and quiet and calm and restoration and reconciliation in their lives. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 expresses what we are as children. You ever thought about what it means to be a child of God? Listen, here's what Peter says. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy but now you have. Wow. Wow. We don't become children of God by being peacemakers. We become children of God because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when we do that, our heart should be full of a desire to be helping people find peace. What an amazing promise. You will be called. People will recognize you. People will know what you are doing. Even, even though you try to do it quietly behind the scenes, people will know that you somehow are positively influencing other people 
by helping them in their times of turmoil and strife, and you will be called peacemakers. Wow, what a great promise. I close with this. As peacemakers, we proclaim to each other and to the world that we are children of God. We proclaim that we care enough about each other that we will hold one another accountable. We proclaim that we care enough about a lost world that we are here to show the way to be reconciled to God, paving the way for them too to become children of God. You know what? There may be a lot of things in life that I want to be. Matter of fact, there are. I'd like to be a better golfer. Some of you know I golf a little bit. I'd like to be a better golfer. But you know, golfing, as much as it is important to me, I'd rather be a better peacemaker. When I walk into the doors at the, at the facility that I work in, I want to be able to look at people and help them through all the struggles that they go through as they go through what we will call, because they're all in long-term care facilities, as they go through their end-of-life journey to help them find peace and be reconciled with God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that in your mercy you have looked down upon us, undeserving though we are, and poured upon us the grace and the gift of salvation. We thank you that you have given us the task of loving people and helping them to find reconciliation with you. And we thank you that you have put us in this church so that we can be a part of the mutual building up of the body of Christ. As we go from this place this morning, Father, we ask that you would give us courage and strength to be the peacemakers that you call us to be in our homes, with our friends, with our co-workers, with those who work under us. Enable us to show the love of Christ to each people that comes into our lives. Father, we thank you for all the blessings you pour upon us. We thank you that even today we come into this place and we have had the ability to come and it, has because, it is because you have blessed us. And Father, we just pray that uh, for those who are, are giving back to you through tithes and offerings that you would bless that and use it to uh, build your church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who would like to uh, give your offering, you can do that. The offering plates are in the back of the church. And uh, I just encourage you um, to, to take advantage of that. I also want to just encourage you. Uh, it's great that the second service is over from a standpoint of we don't have people coming in uh, who are wanting another service. At least I don't think we have a third service. Nobody told me if we do. Um, <clears throat> but we do have doors back there that are marked enter and exit. Okay, an indoor and an outdoor. And while I don't expect anybody's coming in, the government asks us to follow the rules and go out the outdoor when we're leaving. So if you would do that, that door's open, okay? I promise you it's open because I opened it, all right? So you can get out that door. 
And the government also wants us to do our fellowshipping outdoors, not indoors. So if you want to visit, please visit. Okay? Please visit. We miss each other. And we love to be able to share what's happening in our lives. But could you do that after you've left the building? Okay? Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for hearing what God had to say to us. God bless you. Go in peace.